The wealthmanagement.com Advisor Innovations Podcast is sponsored by LPL. As financial advice continues to evolve, LPL is at the forefront. Whether it's growing your RIA or building an independent practice, advisors can pick the business model, services, technology, and product mix that best meets their clients' needs. As a top wealth management firm, 100% dedicated to advisor success, LPL looks forward to learning how they can help you build your tomorrow today. For information and show notes, go visit lpl.com slash advisor innovation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong, the editor of wealthmanagement.com. And as you hopefully know by now, this is the podcast that simply gives me an excuse to talk to interesting people in the wealth management space who are moving the industry forward in new and interesting directions. And today, I'm thrilled to be joined by the president of Merit Financial Advisors, Kaylin Mayhew. Kay, thanks for joining us. Oh, David, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So, you know, I know you were recently on uh, my colleague uh, Mark Bruno's podcast, uh, and and I think one of the reasons that, uh, you know, there's a lot of attention being drawn to your firm uh, is because of the growth trajectory that you guys have, have laid out in the past few years. Uh, but before we get there, tell us just a little bit about the 101 on Merit Financial, who you guys are, who you serve, where you're located, and uh, anything we need to know. Absolutely. Well, you're you're right on the uh, the growth uh, that we've seen. We've been uh, laser focused uh, on uh, making a big impact in the industry, and I feel like we've made some great strides there. So, between our two RIAs now, we stand at about seven billion dollars in uh, in assets, and uh, we've got what I consider to be really a two prong growth approach that we're focused on right now. Uh, the first one's organic growth. I, I think that that's really something that uh, that our industry, if you look around at the typical advisors or the statistics, um, a lot of the firms out there are just treading water. And we're really focused on organic growth through niche marketing, event marketing, inbound marketing. Um, so we've got a, a great team that uh, that really focuses on the organic growth piece. If you look at where our significant growth has come in, though, and I think that this is where we're going to focus most of our time today, it really is in on the non-organic growth. Um, so we've done a total of 14 uh, transactions to date. And I, I feel like from a strategy standpoint, we're at a place where this, this growth is going to be scalable. And uh, from a strategy standpoint or a recipe, uh, I think that uh, we've got something that is going to make a huge impact on the industry. It's really around finding the right partners uh, to uh, help us grow out the regions where we either have a presence and want a larger presence or if we don't have a presence that we want to in that geography there. So we have really over the last year plus, maybe a couple of months, changed our strategy in finding those folks that we want to partner with where we can be their growth partners. So that's been an exciting uh, development and a change for for us. And I feel like from a, a standpoint of where the industry is at, I, I really, I look around and I believe that we're just made to be in community. I, I don't know why our industry has developed into this kind of siloed mentality. And uh, you've got these lone rangers out there. And what we have built and what we're building uh, together is we're designing a firm where relationships and team are the priority. We're really, really big on uh, capturing uh, folks' unique abilities 
and being able to put them in community uh, where they can thrive. There's so many advisors, I feel like, in our industry that have been really successful, but they've had to become the jack of all trades. I, I mean, it's like you look around at our industry, David, it's like we've got to sit here and wear all of these hats now that 25 years ago when I got in this industry, they, they were just non-existent or it was a, a, a very minute part-time job. So you sit there and you take a look at marketing, technology, the regulatory environment that we're living in, uh, the financial planning world and the complexities that come with that, the investments that we now have access to for our clients. There's just so much more from a complexity standpoint. And so we really feel like there's a trend in the industry of people, these lone rangers, you know, looking around saying, hey, you know, would it be smarter? Would it be more fun? Would I have more success with partnering with someone uh, or a larger firm? And if so, you know, what does that environment look like? Yeah, it really, it's, it's one of my favorite themes or sort of macro themes of the independent side of the industry, right? Is this transition of, you know, practices to real organized businesses, right? Uh, and I think your firm is on the cusp of that. There's a couple of others, you know, kind of true national RIAs that are run by, run like companies, run like professionally managed companies, as opposed to, you know, small practices. Is that how you characterize it? Yes. Absolutely. And, and I think that there's lots of different folks out there that are seeing this trend and are, are either leading the pack or wanting to get in the pack as it relates to the mergers and acquisitions. And uh, and I think that that's great. I, I, it's professionalizing our industry. So we're no longer the, the maw and paws of the world. Um, I feel like it's really bringing a professionalization to the table. And I feel like there's so many different flavors out there for folks that are potentially looking for either that partner or the succession solution. Um, and sometimes it can be both. Maybe someone's got another five to 10 years that they're wanting to do this, but uh, they're not necessarily wanting to do it on their own. And they're wanting to know that at, when they're ready to punch out, that they've got a, a favorable liquidity event that's going to be available to them. So I feel like going back to that comment as far as the different flavors, there's the, uh, there's the situations where it really is uh, a one-size-fits-all out there to where it's like if you're going to sit there and partner with this firm, some of the aggregators out there, or the roll-ups, it's here's the rules that you're going to have to play with, kind of like a one-size-fits-all. There's other players out there that for gosh, from, from my viewpoint, they're really bringing people together and it's a pure economics play, meaning that you know, there's not a whole lot of value that's being added to uh, the advisors that are choosing uh, to join or the RIAs that are choosing to join these larger firms because it's a valuation play. They're trying to get those numbers up really high. And then there's the, the value adds. And, and I'm going to put us in the value adds category because we really are are laser focused on providing the best infrastructure, servant leadership, wonderful tools to uh, to grow, wonderful teams to sit there and depend upon, um, take 
HR, marketing, technology. Um, we've got a $4 million spend that we're right in the middle on uh, as far as building out our technology. It's like, why are we doing this? Well, number one, we're doing it for our teams uh, to make their lives easier. We're doing it for the advisors to make their lives easier. And then we're doing it for the clients because we believe that that technology engagement is going to be critical and that client experience is going to be critical to um, not only attract uh, new clients, but also to uh, maintain and to build the relationship with that next generation. I think most of the clients that are uh, have their significant assets in play right now are in that retirement age or really, really close to it. And so as their age goes up, it's more and more important to be connecting with that next generation. And also it's a pipeline for, for new clients. So, and I can say as a, as a parent, um, you do something for me and I'm going to say, thank you. Uh, you do something for one of my kids. Gosh, you know, I, I'm going to feel mm-hmm. like I owe you, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. So I think that as a focus of being able to connect with that next gen, the adult children of our clients is, is uh, definitely going to be something that will, will separate uh, the companies out there. Yeah, and I, I like this notion of uh, differentiating yourself from some others in the space that are just seem to be willy nilly tacking on firms, you know, left and right, you know, kind of, I think, taking advantage of this wave of uh, money that's been thrown at this industry, the availability of firms, uh, people looking to sell, you're taking a much more intentional approach in terms of like filling out the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, so to speak, uh, different services, different niche, I characterize a little bit, you said, probably over a dozen partnerships in the last uh, how many years? Oh, gosh. The majority of those 14 transactions have taken place since 2017. Okay. And uh, and we expect 2022, we've got a total of uh, five transactions that will close between now and April. Um, and we expect that to be around a dozen total for 2022 between now and the end of the year. I, that's rapid growth, no doubt. Uh, you know, when you're looking for firms to partner with, what is what is what does this partnership look like? Is it a full-on acquisition? Uh, is it equity uh, uh, partnership? Is it uh, a service type of uh, arrangement? What what do these deals look like? Well, and that's a great question. And David, if it's okay, I'll answer it in two parts. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. say what we're looking for, and then uh, the the structure. So I think. The thing that is more important to us than anything else um, as it relates to numbers or location or team design or investment philosophy or financial planning based or hybrid RIA versus independent advisor versus pure RIA. It's like we can we can do business with, with anyone, but the number one thing comes down to culture. We believe that it's something that really differentiates merit financial advisors from the other firms out there, and we're so protective of it. So we spend a lot of time getting to know our potential partners. And I can tell you, we say no um, more than we say yes, uh, because we believe so strongly in um, that cultural fit. And the only way to really get to know if that fit is there is to spend time with each other, um, to get to know the team, to understand the priorities. 
so I think that that is, that is really, really important. Our model is one of, I'm going to summarize it as hub and spoke. So our hub uh, is basically that local leadership, that entrepreneurial-minded, growth-focused, fire in their belly to sit there and dominate the, uh, the area that they're in, a proven track record of success us, that hub partner. We call those our regional directors. And so we're looking for those regional directors in the cities that we would like to have either a larger presence in. And for those hub uh, transactions, the design of that is we want them to be rowing in the same direction. We want them to have the same equity that we own. And so part of that transaction is going to contain merit equity. On the spoke piece of our hub and spoke model, those are really more of like the talent uh, play or getting into a certain uh, market that we're wanting to get into or a succession situation to where there's an advisor out there or a team that they've they've decided that, hey, I, I, I don't want to do this longer than uh, a couple of years or a medical event just come up or, my goodness, we're right in the middle of some extreme market volatility. It's like I've, I've been in the industry since the mid-90s and I've lived through a few of these. Sometimes the advisors get to the place to where it's like, tap out, you know, this, mm. this is it. So those type of advisors really fit into that spoke model where it falls um, within the regional director and that hub's responsibility to transition those clients over time or to alleviate some of the things that that, that is doing now that just is not making the business fun, you know, whether that be um, compliance or investment management or HR or, oh my goodness, you know, the copier is broken again, or I've got a lease that's coming up for negotiation. I don't want to deal with any of this stuff, or I've had turnover, you know, I've had my client service person quit on me again, and I don't want to deal with all that. Those type of folks um, are really attracted to that hub model because they can just hand all of that stuff over and just do the part of the business that they love or walk away from the business. So I feel like on those spoke transactions to answer your question, David, on the design, those are cash. And um, let's face it, the multiples have never been higher <laughs> in our industry. I, I, you know, I just sit there and I look around and I'm just in amazement in such a short period of time. I think it's fantastic because again, I'm going to go back to that professionalizing of our um, industry. This is a noble profession. And I just, I am so grateful that the world is, is recognizing that and people are being compensated fairly for uh, what they've built. And so I feel like from the spoke transaction, what our uh, hope is, is that we're able to provide a great liquidity event, a wonderful experience for their team, upside potential for uh, uh, the folks that have helped those founders get to where they are, and then an excellent client experience. So that is basically why we've done what we've done as far as building out merit is to provide that. 
Yeah, and that recognition of uh, it has been noticed by outside investors, right? I know uh, you have all taken some money from a private equity firm as well as a minority investor and wealth partners capital group. Explain to me how that works, because we talk a lot about in the industry the notion of outside investors, private equity investors coming in, seeing you know all the charts going up and to the right, mm-hmm. wanting wanting to get up on the train, you know, and maybe not always knowing exactly what they're in for in this industry. You know, it's a it's <laughs> sticky revenue, but it can be volatile, uh, like you say, with the markets. Uh, you know, what's your relationship like with your investors, and and how did those deals come together? What were they looking for? Can you just characterize those a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was it was about a year long process for us, and I feel like I was in school uh, that entire year. Um, just opened my eyes to a completely new world. I will say, anybody listening that uh, is interested, as far as from bringing in an investor. I will say there are some minimal sizes. Uh, we were at about $5 billion before we started down this this venture. And when I say $5 billion, those were, were W-2 uh, advisors as far as assets and clients that were, were owned by the company, um, IRA, Shell, uh, mm-hmm. where uh, we were only getting a small override on those. So we had a significant uh, asset center management and a significant EBITDA hurdle, hurdle uh, prior to that. We went out thinking that we were looking for a capital partner. We had a wonderful banking relationship, but we saw that that was going to dry up. The bank was only going to be comfortable lending us so much. So we said, hey, we're, we're, if we're going to continue this and we're going to be able to do the next 12 transactions, we're going to have to find a capital partner. What opened my eyes was that we didn't have to settle for someone that was just going to write a check. Um, because there were lots of offers um, out there and there were lots of people willing to write that check. This is a very popular space right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these PE firms and private investors that are looking to get into this space. But what we were able to do in Wealth Partners Capital Group brought that to the table. They're really a strategic partner. So um, Rick Kent, our CEO and founder and myself, you know, we were sitting there, like I said, about the $5 billion mark at the time. This was about a year ago. And we hadn't set in an RIA. That was $10 billion. That was $15 billion. That was twenty. You know, it's like we, we were building that roadmap to get to there, but we hadn't set in those shoes. And what, what Wealth Partners brought to the table is talent and experience experience that had done that. And so they had they had been along other partner firms or had been a part of some of the largest RIAs uh, their principals had um, in uh, the country and had seen significant growth within that time period. So they have been just, they've been great, true partners, not just someone that wrote a check that enabled us to continue to make the transactions. For us, it was really important to stay a majority employee and leadership owned firm. We really felt like we were at the place where we needed to maintain that control. And we also felt like it was really early to be giving away the farm. Um, We had a lot of growing to do and we had a lot of um, uh, shareholders that we wanted to continue to bring in through these uh, regional directors and the localized leadership. And we wanted to have the best scenario for them as far as from capital appreciation on their, their stock holdings of merit. And so we felt like 
like that uh, minority um, investor was the right thing to do for us and a non-control. Um, and then it, it, it was great for us because we found someone that was willing to own the same shares of stock that we did. Um, and, and they were bringing so much to the table as far as expertise, connections, legal teams. It, it has just been a really, really great thing for. But there's a lot of folks out there that size-wise, you know, maybe they're in that half a billion dollar uh, place or that billion dollar place. It's like, oh my goodness, what is it going to take for them to get to that $5 billion mark um, in order to attract those kind of, of folks that want to pour in the, the money, the time, the expertise. And so a lot of those people are going to uh, find that there's a quicker way to get there and it's to partner with someone like us to have access to that but not have to sit there and build it out themselves. So that's really what we're focused on when we sit there and we look at that regional director and those hub potential partners. We're looking for those folks that, I mean, these are not people that are wanting to sell their company. <laughs> I, I, You know, if someone comes to us and, and, and they were they were wanting to sell their company and they were thinking that they could be a regional director or a hub, it's probably not even the right fit um, uh, because what we're looking for is the people that are, are, are building themselves and have great confidence in their own abilities. But when they see an opportunity that they could work, let's just call it smarter versus harder and have a lot more fun with it because there's people around them that like to do the stuff that they don't like to do. That's a win-win for us. I, you know, that's, I, I love that because I, I go back to this idea of culture, uh, which is always kind of a spongy concept, but it comes up all the time. Truly, it is important. Uh, when you're evaluating these uh, partners uh, and you're looking at them, beyond the cultural fit, right? You want the fire in the belly. You want the entrepreneurial uh, advisor. Uh, you want someone who's uh, uh, on a growth trajectory and doesn't want to give up that growth trajectory and bring something unique to the table for merit. Other, you know, more, I guess, nuts and bolts kind of aspects come into this. You talked about a $5 million technology spend. Uh, do you look for a partner's technology stacks uh, and how that might integrate? Or, you know, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of actually connecting all the wires together, uh, how does that look? Yeah, so I, I'm thinking of a few of the conversations that uh, that we're having now, and a few of the transactions that we've either recently closed on or going to close on uh, to uh, to give you an idea or maybe share a story. We're we're definitely so going back to the two focuses: inorganic growth and organic growth. If we have a potential on the the hub leadership that has either seen uh, the opportunities on the acquisition market and um, the succession play and the talent play out there, or maybe they've done some transactions themselves already, that makes it really, really attractive for us to have a conversation because they, they've already seen what's existing out there as far as a trend and either they've acted on it or they've wanted to act on it. So I think that that's fantastic. The other piece is on the organic growth. Uh, I'll share with you um, uh, a little uh, story as far as one of our most recent transactions involved a uh, South Florida group. And uh, so now we've got a pretty significant presence in uh, the Boca um, area. And what that team brought, not only some really, really great talent, but they brought a uh, marketing 
engine. Um, it's an inbound marketing system that is attracting high net worth advisors. And they were able just on their own to uh, bring in roughly, I think it was like $120 million last year. Hmm. We are taking that strategy and taking that nationwide and putting a lot of effort behind it. Our marketing team's getting behind it. And we fully expect that to be a billion dollar magnet um, in a very short time period on the organic growth side. And that helps the non-organic growth too. I mean, how many advisors out there wouldn't love to uh, to just show up and, and have their calendar filled up with qualified leads on uh, mm-hmm. Monday morning? So those are the kind of things that get us really excited. So you're uh, finding technology uh, or some sort of uh, uh, operational component uh, in these partners uh, that they're bringing something to the table as well, and that can be shared with the rest of the, the network. Yes, yes. Many of them have some interesting either markets that they're in. Uh, for instance, we've got one of our offices that focuses on working with women going through divorces. Mm-hmm. And that is something that we've got other advisors throughout the country that are interested in. And so they've learned the, the process, the technique, and we've built out the inbound marketing to, uh, to find those folks and the tools to help work with the the counselors and the attorneys and the mediators and the folks that come into their world in those local markets. And so we'll we'll continue to find those type of opportunities, or maybe it's an advisor that's in with a a specific industry or a specific company that if we were able to uh, sit there and leverage that across either uh, a, a certain geography or across the entire U.S., that we could have much more impact on, uh, on helping those uh, executives and uh, managers of those Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, interesting. I mean, explain to me then a little bit about the, the home office there, the, the, the hub. Uh, you know, it strikes me this is obviously uh, a full-time job for several people to evaluate these potential targets and partners, yourself included. What's the breakdown between uh, kind of the operations staff of uh, Merit and actual financial advisors on the ground? Can you characterize that at all? Yeah, yeah. So um, we're we stand at a hundred and I think it's 115 uh, team members now, and roughly 30 of those team members are in an advisor role uh, in a capacity. And so uh, the rest of the team members are the infrastructure uh, behind those 30 advisors. Some of those are uh, local and uh, some of those are centralized. So like our technology team, for instance, is, is centralized. We don't have technology folks in, in each of the, uh, the offices that we operate in. Our uh, marketing team is split. As an example, um, we've got our corporate marketing team that focuses a lot on the inbound, the brand, uh, our industry uh, presence. And then in each of our offices, we have what we call our client development managers. And uh, it's funny because 
I, I guess I've, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid here for so long. I didn't realize this was something that was so unique. But when we have our home office visits, meaning when folks uh, come in to kick the tires and see what merit's all about and see if it would make sense for, for them to uh, consider partnering with us in uh, one way or another, the CDMs or our client development managers are something that's just so intriguing. So basically, these client development managers, they sit in our various offices, meaning that they're this is not a centralized marketing function. These are the boots on the ground in our offices. And they are charged with helping the advisors get qualified initials with the uh, type of individuals that they want to work with. So that might be a particular industry. It could be a particular company. It could be we've got advisors that focus on working with widows. We've got advisors that focus, like I mentioned, working with people going through divorces or other transitions. So that client development manager, um, it's it's been a game changer because there's so many advisors out there that are really, really great at what they do, but they may not be the best at finding that, that, that hunting piece, like as far as right. finding that person to bring in off the street and put them in that conference room. And so by pairing our advisors with these uh, client development managers, what it's done is it's freed up our advisors to spend a lot more time doing what they should be doing, which is meeting with their clients and meeting with new prospective clients and helping those folks. So it's been a really, really great formula for us. And um, I've noticed, at least in the transactions that we have done, David, that these founders are somewhat of, I'm going to use the word unicorn. <laughs> they, they were a unicorn, meaning that they could go out there and they, they could take the risk and, and start the business and go out there and find the, um, uh, the prospective clients and close those clients and then service those clients. And what I'm seeing is, is those unicorns, they're just few and far between. Um, so if we can create a company to where uh, we can take some of those responsibilities off of the advisors and put those on other departments like our marketing department for the inbound leads or like our client development managers to sit there and get our advisors those qualified prospects sitting in the conference room that we can, it's, it's much more scalable. People can operate in uh, their unique ability uh, on a much more regular basis. Yeah. Again, that's that professionalization of the industry, right? Uh, uh, creating roles, crafting roles inside the firm for everyone's unique talents. You know, the uh, uh, you talked a little bit about, if we can just maybe broadly speaking around the industry, uh, the plethora of these lone wolf advisors out there, the true unicorns are rare, far and few between, uh, but there's a ton of small little shops out there. And you know, we've been 10 years of uh, rising assets. Things have been pretty good for the industry uh, in terms of the you know, long-term bull market up until recently. You know, how much is that uh, just sort of natural uplift from rising equity markets, uh, sustaining a lot of firms that maybe, I don't want to say shouldn't be in the industry, that's the wrong term, but sustaining some firms that maybe would not be as functionally oper you know, operable businesses if we didn't have that equity market uplift? 
That's a complicated question. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, went, I went around. You know, no, no. I, you know, I'm sitting here and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. When you sit there and you look at what the true organic growth is of a lot of the advisors and RAs out there, I, I saw a recent article that had that uh, number as a negative number. <laughs> and so mm. I think the markets have been very, very helpful. I do want to say there's absolutely no shame in the lifestyle practices that are out there. I mean, this this is a great uh, this is a great career path. There's been some amazing folks that have chosen this career path because it does provide so much work life balance. So I, I I don't feel like that's that's anything to be ashamed of for the the lifestyle uh, uh, practices out there. I do think that when we don't have the type of market conditions that we have had over the last decade, that becomes a whole lot harder because let's face it, the majority of the assets right now are in hands of folks that are taking distributions. They are in that phase of their life. So I kind of look at it as the bathtub, right? And so if your bathtub's got a leak, what's going to happen if water's not coming in? It's going to go down, down, down. And so Mm -hmm. I would suggest to any of the lifestyle advisors out there, I'm going to, I'm going to call it the, the, the rolling three-year plan. I have so many conversations with people that are like, yeah, I'm going to retire and sell in three years. And then I Mm. see them about three years later. Yeah, I'm going to retire and sell in three years. (laughs) Well, I mean, when you look at where we are as an industry right now, um, the multiples are great. Uh, Taxes are likely never going to be lower than where we are now. And if we do see some turbulent market times or some challenging market times, not only are you not going to have that that market uh, performance that's going to help keep that bathtub water level, you're also going to be faced with the fact that clients are going to start looking around. And, and it's really easy to keep clients happy when the market is doing well. It's not so easy when it's not. You, you really have to jump in there. There's a lot of hand-holding. That's when people start to look around start to ask their friends, start to take the phone call from their neighbor's advisor or play golf with their, you know, golf buddy's advisor. Um, So those are the times where being a lifestyle um, uh, advisor or lifestyle business right now are really going to get challenging. So I guess my advice to folks that might sit in that category, it's like have some conversations, Get, get evaluation done on your business, look to see what's going on out there because you may never see the type of capital event that you could have now based upon uh, either conditions on the the tax front, the valuation front. And, And to be honest, as an acquirer, we do have concerns when we see that revenues have gone down, when we see the assets have gone down. So it's kind of like the the, the Super Bowl winners that, that mm-hmm. immediately announced their retirement after putting on that ring. It's like, go out mm-hmm. with a bang. Don't sit mm-hmm. there and, 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 and wait for your team to come in last place and then go out there and try to make a name for yourself. Well, and those will be things that uh, uh, impact the the valuation itself, right? Uh, the you know, I'm sure you guys look at this stuff all the time. The the growth trajectory, or as you say, the lack of growth trajectory, the average age of the client, the uh, uh, you know, the, the 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 service model, if there is one. These are all things that impact uh, potential partnership, and and if there is a partnership, the valuation, correct? Hundred percent, David. Tell me a bit about uh, the service model. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of interested in is this notion that uh, uh, clients are expecting a lot more from advisors. 
than they used to. Advisors are moving, you know, away from sort of the transactional relationship into, you know, financial planning, more kind of boutique service offerings. But that's hard to do efficiently. You know, does a structure like Merit's uh, lend itself to those kind of relationships where maybe your advisors are not taking on as many clients, but serving the clients that they have more efficiently? Where do you find the balance for, for your team in those two dynamics? I think there's a couple of, of keys uh, to the success that, that we've seen, and I'm happy to, uh, to share those. I think the, the first thing is uh, what we have tried to do is centralize everything that makes sense to do so, because there's certain things that don't make sense. But I'll give you some examples. Our financial planning department. I feel like it's been critical for us to have a centralized uh, financial planning department to sit there and provide that type of infrastructure to the advisors um, that really know our uh, financial planning software inside and out that can stay up on all of the different changes that are going on in tax law, Medicare, Social Security, basically just have those experts that our advisors don't have to be that jack of all trades. So we've got the JD on staff that we can go to for the advanced estate planning. We've got, like I said, the social security expert, the Medicare expert, you know, all of those things that it would just um, be almost impossible for the individual advisors to uh, become experts on, on everything. So that's been a, a big piece to, uh, to the success. And then on the client service, what we have built is one where we've got the advisors. So think of it like a team. So our clients experience working with Merit as a team. So this is not this individual relationship that they have with one advisor. Um, they're hearing from our investment team uh, on the market updates, and they know that their advisor is not going to be sitting there studying every single stock and a mutual fund and individual bond or, you know, whatever the allocation is, but that we've got that investment team that they can bring in that is, that is their responsibilities. It's the CFAs of the world that are sitting uh, behind the scenes, that backstage role that can be pulled into those meetings and that we're providing those sound bites as far as what's going on in, in the marketplace. And then the advisors themselves are, are, are completely supported. Um, we've got a relationship manager position that really for, for lack of better words, it's, it's, it's an advisor counterpart to where they are viewed as another advisor that that client is uh, getting to, uh, to work with on a regular basis. And many of our relationship managers are CFPs and have 10, 15, 20 years of experience, but they don't necessarily want to be in that advisor role because they don't want to take the risk on variable compensation or uh, they don't want to be responsible for going out there and, and necessarily closing the new, the new clients. They really like that um, support type role in the advisor role. And then we've got our current client service manager that I, I, the worst thing that I feel like our industry does is we have, especially on the new, new advisors, because they have the bandwidth, we're sitting there having them do a bunch of paperwork or we're having them sit there and do a bunch of research on uh, the investment management. When you can sit there and you can team up folks, it's so freeing. And I think that uh, it really enhances the client experience because that client is, um, if 
one of those uh, cogs of the wheel is out on vacation or maternity leave or paternity leave or get sick or, you know, whatever the circumstances are, they know that they're still in good hands. And I feel like that also helps from a transition standpoint, because we've got a lot of the advisors that may only want to do this for another um, few years. And uh, what does that look like to transition those clients uh, to another advisor? Well, it's really easy when those clients have been used to experiencing the firm as their support and uh, that team as their um, uh, uh, community that they're working with versus just that one single relationship. Well, th- th- this has been great. I have uh, a ton more questions I could get to. Uh, I-, I think we both could talk about this for a long time. I've kept you far longer than, than uh, I promised, so I-, I apologize for that. But thank you very much, uh, Kaylin Mayhew, Merit Financial Advisors President. Uh, I really appreciate the, the conversation. Oh, David, thank you so much. This has been uh, great. Like you said, I could talk about it forever. And um, I would love to uh, to connect with anyone that's, uh, that's listening out there. Um, LinkedIn is always a, a great way to uh, stay in touch. I love to see what, what's going on in our industry and keep up with everybody that way. But thank you so much, David. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. This has been the Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong. Be well. This podcast is sponsored by LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. LPL Financial is a separate entity from and not affiliated with wealthmanagement.com.